I'm going to invite you to stand. We have a God who loves us, amen? And we have a God who wants to even, he loves us so much, he wants to even minister to us in this moment. Yes, Jesus Christ has accomplished a great work to where we can just stand here justified, sanctified, forgiven, and okay. But even now, still, today, he wants to minister to our hearts this morning. So would you allow him to do that this morning? Let's worship the Lord. Fellowship family, you may be seated. Well, welcome to all of you. Good morning and welcome to our guests and to those of you who are joining us 
online from the warmth of your living room on this brisk, cold morning. If you're new to fellowship, I want to invite you to join us in the center booth in the foyer after the service. We would love the opportunity to meet you and to help get you connected at fellowship. Well, hey, all of us at some point will experience the loss of a loved one, whether that's a family member or a special friend. And there's a ministry that exists to help us navigate uh, grief in the process of losing someone. That's called Grief Share. And they will start their next session on February the 7th. You can register online at griefshare.org, or you can uh, go see the booth uh, in the foyer, booth E, to register. Uh, Well, if you're not already a part of a community group currently, Uh, myself and my teammates, we would love to help you get connected into one in your journey to belong, grow, and serve as a part of the body of Christ here at Fellowship. Right now, as well as the fall, are excellent times to join. So please talk to someone at the center booth, and we will help you find a group. I want to extend an invitation to all our community group leaders. Uh, It's that time of the year. We're going to have a leader kickoff next Sunday, January 21st, across the hall in the Family Center at both the 9 and the 10.30 hours. And so I hope that you'll mark it on your calendars and plan to attend. We're going to have a renewed vision and uh, some encouragement, and so hope to see you there. Well, hey, I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with control, with selfish tendencies, and the pride of selfish uh, sustainability. And my name is Jimmy. And Thank you. And this morning, we're in the middle of a CR series, and uh, I'm excited because we're going to get to hear from my friend and the congregational leader, Rodney Holmstrom. That's right. That's right. And so every Friday night at 7 p.m., Celebrate Recovery gathers right here in this room, and it is a safe place where the entire family can process life's hurts and habits and hang-ups, and so I hope you'll consider checking out on a, on a Friday night. Well, fellowship, the church is more like a hospital and less like a museum. And so when we show up here together as a church, we're not here to prove how healthy we are because it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so by being here, we're saying that we're here to get well and to experience healing from the great physician, Amen. Amen. So in that posture, let's go to the Lord in prayer and dedicate our time today. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, we're grateful and we approach you in humility this morning. Thank you for the finished work of the cross. Would you freed us, not just from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you love us just the way we are, but you love us too much to leave us this way. And so with grateful hearts, we come to you and worship this morning. And all that we are and all that we have is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. from 
that sealed the promise is your buried body begin to move out of the sides the roaring light declared the grave has no claim would you stand and sing then came the morning that sealed the promise your very
grateful believer in Christ, and I struggle with um, trust, uh, betrayal trauma, and I uh, celebrate, or I'm learning to walk in victory over betrayal trauma and abandonment, and my name is Jen. I'm going to read the eight principles, if you guys can follow along with the Bible verse. Number one, realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. Matthew 5, 3. Number two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, 4. Number three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Happy are the meek, Matthew 5, 5. Number four, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happy are the pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8. Number five, 
voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Happy are those who know is to do what God requires. Matthew 5, 6. Number six, evaluate all my relationships. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. Happy are the merciful, Matthew 5, 7. Happy are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9. And number seven, reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. And number eight, yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Matthew 5.10. Good morning, fellowship. Good to be here with you this morning. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with drugs, struggle well with drugs and alcohol and perfectionism. My name is Rodney. Hey, guys. I am uh, the pastor and ministry leader of Celebrate Recovery here at Fellowship. And I guess you have to be the most messed up guy on the planet to lead the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. So they picked me. I'm not sure what that says about me, but... uh, Now, it is good to be here with you. I'm, I hope you're enjoying this series. I'm excited personally because it's helping us be educated as a body that, that we are all broken. And if you need it or someone in your family needs extra help or maybe even in your community because of the safety that you create in that culture, that circle, that someone would raise their hand and say, hey, I'm one of those people. I can't get past this and I want help and we can lock arms together. But I want to be clear that, that Celebrate Recovery is, is, we're big on form versus function here at Fellowship, and the function of community is amazing here. I love what happens here at Fellowship Rogers Community. Celebrate Recovery is another form of community. It is not intended to replace the great things that are happening in community, but to be a beautiful complement that we could go and point people to this space. Sometimes we need to be around birds of the same feather to talk about those things and say, how long do I need to talk about that? As long as it takes and you are worth it. So having that safety to be able to process that and having that form of community, I love that this is a wing of our hospital, the church, right? We are a hospital for the sick and we can go to this wing of the hospital that is Celebrate Recovery. But what do we do when the, the pain of our past, the baggage of our past keeps us from moving forward, keeps us stuck. What do we do with that? There's a central thought that I've learned in my own path in growth and healing, recovery, whatever you want to call it, is that ignoring my past keeps me from moving forward. But facing it actually helps me to walk in lasting freedom and healing. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in my own life, or even in, in, as Christians as a whole, we can get stuck with this, is we have a backward approach to dealing with the, the habits in our life. We try to manage it and just make it go away, just make it stop. What I love about this process of Celebrate Recovery is it helps us to, to understand the good reasons why we're doing what we're doing. Now, we know it's our sinful nature But because we're broken people bumping into broken people, sometimes the effects of bumping into broken people create different paths for us. So understanding the roots, the damage, and the effect to take us to why we do and respond to life and God and the world the way we do is important. And so this is the process of healing to help us to walk in that lasting freedom and healing in our life. I want to jump into a text that I think really speaks to this conversation of dealing with the baggage. It's Hebrews 12.1. Now, there's a lot that we could unpack about this passage. I just want to make some highlights. I don't have time to get into all what this text is saying, but there's a couple things that I think really speak to what we're talking about in dealing with the, the pain of our past that's keeping us stuck. It's Hebrews 12, verse 1. The writer writes, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, throw off the things that hinder and the sin that so easily entangles, and then you hear the why, so that we can run with perseverance this race marked out for us. 
Now, when I hear the word sin that so easily entangles, maybe you can relate. We all kind of have a picture in our, our mind of what that could be, don't we? Oh, I know what he's talking about. Those habits, those destructive things that are hurting my family and myself. But sometimes we undervalue and underrate the, the hindering part, the hindrance. I wonder what might be hindering us as a body, as individuals, from running with perseverance the race that Christ has marked out for us. That word hinder in the original text means encumbrance, a burden, or a weight. And when I think about those things, make no mistake about it, if I don't deal with the weights and the encumbrances and the burdens in my life with God's power, they will most definitely become the sin that so easily entangles. At the very base, you could say that if we're doing something we were not designed to do, I think the scriptures are very clear that there's only one who has the right to rule in our life, and it's God Almighty. So that in itself is dealing with the hindrances, the burdens, the things of hurt people hurting me as hurt people hurt people. If I don't address those things under my own power without God inviting him into that, at his very core, I'm already sinning. But make no mistake about it, we don't have what it takes to manage this. And if we don't allow God in the middle of that, we will find ourselves over here in the sin that so easily entangles. And we find ourselves trying to fill that hole in our heart apart from God, apart from what he designed in our life. So this morning, I want to jump into the next three choices or principles. By the way, that Life's Healing Choices is a book that was written by the Celebrate Recovery founder to help educate people. He found that that word recovery was getting people hung up. So he wrote this book. So the choices are simultaneous with the recovery principles that we do in Celebrate Recovery to help us understand that we're all broken and we all need a savior. And sometimes we need extra help. Choice number three is the letting go part of the process. Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. And when we can do that, then we can do the housekeeping part of this process, the coming clean, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. And then here's the hope in choice five, principle five, because it's not enough just to acknowledge the mess. What are you going to do with it, Jesus? He actually starts to transform us to take the, the effects of that and replace them with new healthy practices. Voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. That's the goal in this process. There's an old character in some old cowboy and Indian westerns, and maybe you've heard of him, John Wayne. Anybody know who John Wayne is? Okay, just me and the rest of the old people, right? If you don't know who John Wayne is, it's okay. Just think Jason Bourne of today. He was a bad guy, right? He was tough. And in every single movie in those old westerns, he played the exact same character. <laughs> he had a cowboy hat, chaps, six shooters, cowboy boots, and he was always fighting against his opponent, the Indians, right? So it's fascinating if you imagine John Wayne going into battle against his opponent, and they've got these bows and arrows. Isn't it fascinating how they could carve these rocks into perfect arrowheads? In the context of battle, he's doing pretty good. He's taking out his enemy, but they're firing these bows and arrows at him. And in the context of battle, he gets hit a few times. Now, what does John Wayne, the Jason Bourne of today, do when he gets hit by a few arrows? Oh, this really stings. I, I need to process this wound. Uh, this is really, really hard. No, this is John Wayne. He doesn't have time to mess with those. So what does he do? He breaks it off at the head. He throws the stick down and he finishes the battle. And you know what? He's celebrated for it. He goes back to camp. He's exalted. Man, you're such a hero. You didn't let those little minuscule arrowheads get in your way. You finished the battle. Way to go, John Wayne. That's the good news. The bad news is he's still got a bunch of rocks lodged in his body. <laughs> Do you know that you can live the rest of your life with rocks inside your body, assuming it contains the infection? But you may not be aware of this. If you have rocks in your body and you bump into something, it feels a lot worse than when you don't have rocks in your body. 
In Celebrate Recovery, we call these hurts, hangups, and habits. We all have these events that put arrowheads inside of us that, that drastically affect how we relate to God and to other people. And if we don't process those, it can be damaging to authentic relationships with God and with other people. The events in our life, sometimes we have hard things that come our way. Uh, there was something that happened a few years ago. I don't know if you heard about it. It had a lot of effect on people, but it was the, I think it was, they called it the pandemic. Anybody hear about that? A messy, hard time, wasn't it? I think we're now in the mental health pandemic. Americans are struggling more with anxiety and depression and crippling fear. And oh, by the way, we're going to put you by yourselves in isolation to deal with your pain on your own. And guess what we saw rise? Addictions, alcohol, drugs. The church has the solution and it's Jesus Christ. And to have a safe space to say, hey, I've got some arrowheads lodged in me is such an important step to the process. If we don't face our hurts, we develop these core beliefs that I'm a failure, I'm unlovable, and we easily slip into the habit part of this cycle that, in essence, we're confirming the very things that we believe. If I believe I'm a failure, I do things that failures do. Now, the habits are not just the big three, drugs, alcohol, and pornography. Sometimes it's the defenses and protections that we can fall into, like people-pleasing, perfectionism, performance, or control, or busyness, or way too much screen time, whatever it is that we're trying to satisfy the whole in our heart has a drastic effect on the others on this cycle and we bump into people in unhealthy ways. So we have to address the hurt or it becomes very, very detrimental to our walk in authentic community with other people. So in this process, the first thing we have to do is commit. Choice three, principle three, is about committing. Psalm 73, 26 says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Sam did a beautiful job last week helping us understand that we're all broken. I love the Beatitudes and the language Jesus uses, the words that help me understand what he means when he uses words like poor, blessed in spite of your circumstances when you are spiritually poor. It's as if you've been starving for days and you have nothing in your cup. Jesus, if you don't put something in this cup, I'm going to die. Committing to that source, he's my portion forever. I need you in this space. See, if I don't believe that there is a God and I'm not it, if I don't believe that, that, that he loves me in spite of my baggage, and most importantly, if I don't believe he has the power to help me face this that has me stuck, why would I ever commit to him? Why would I turn my life and my will over to his care and control? So the first two principles in this process are essential to be able to do what we're talking about here this morning, to commit. And to commit is to decide. It comes from the word decide, to cut off all other options. There is no plan B. It's only you, Jesus. Too often, I have one foot in and one foot out. I'm going to give it a shot, but if it doesn't work, I'm going to go to plan B. No, to commit is to decide, to cut off all other options. Jesus, you are the only one who can help me through this process. And I love that when we become believers and we commit our life to him, he calls us holy. But could it be that, that God did not send Jesus to leave heaven just to make a bunch of bad people behave? Maybe that was an indicator of a need of a rescuer, most definitely. But could it be that he came to make his holy people healthy. I think he did. I think, and it grieves my heart. I've traveled all over the world talking about Celebrate Recovery, and it grieves my heart to see God-fearing, God-loving men and women of Jesus, followers of Christ that are called holy, living such unhealthy lives. Why? Because they're afraid. If anybody sees this, you're going to think less of me, and, and we get into this place of stuckness, and we try to manage the baggage under our own power. See, Jesus doesn't want to just get a, a, a way for us to get away from the baggage. He wants us to move towards something we can't even see or, or dream or imagine in our life. And that's what freedom is. It's believing in something that I can't even see. I believe in you, and I believe that you're going to do something with this, not just to experience healing, 
but to experience our calling, freedom, but also our purpose in the pain, the baggage, the things, the burdens that have happened to us, and maybe as a result that we have done to other people. God's going to use that, but we have to commit to him, make him our plan A. And too often we have these barriers that get stuck, that get, keep us from doing this important step to, walk, to, to allow us to walk in authentic community and relationship with him. Things like pride and guilt and fear and worry and doubt. My pride says, I can't let anybody see that I'm broken. Or I I worry, what will happen? What will my friends think? Or maybe even worse, I, I start to doubt. I know the gospel takes care of baggage, but you don't know my pile of baggage. Maybe he doesn't have the power to help me. It's just for everyone else. All of those keep us from living out this path of freedom and healing and calling and purpose. See, when we can commit to him, no plan B, only plan A, I'm coming to you with my baggage, Father. I'm turning it over him. Then he gives us the power and the strength to do the next important step. That's to examine and confess Listen to Psalm 139, 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You know, anxiety is one of those weird things, but it's God created this natural system inside our body to to get our attention, to put us in a place of readiness, and usually it's telling us there's something in here that needs your attention. Pay attention. Is there something going on in my past that I've been running from, and my body is actually giving me signals saying, What is this anxiety saying? I need to pay attention to this so that I can move forward in freedom and healing. Know my heart. Lord, what are my anxious thoughts? Verse 24. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes when I read that offensive way, I go to the sin that so easily entangles. And it makes sense because that is an offensive way in me. But I forget the offensive way done to me. And the cost of that, when I run from that and I try to manage that and fill my cup under my own power, that offensive way, if not dealt with and brought to the Father, it will become new offensive ways in my strategies to deal with the pain that will destroy me and my relationships with others and my family and my community, especially my relationship with God. That word confess literally in in its Greek meaning means this, to say the same thing. God knows what is true. He wants us to acknowledge it, to admit it, and then agree with him in this. He knows what is true. He knows the hurt done to me that have been burdens and encumbrances that he wants to take from me, and he knows the sin that so easily entangles me. He wants to take that from me as well. You don't have this on the screen, but I just want to read this quote by John Eldridge because I think it really speaks to addressing the baggage in our life. He says, It is so important for each of us to grieve our wounds. It is the only honest thing to do, for in grieving we admit the truth. We were hurt by someone we loved. We lost something very dear, and it hurt us very much. Tears are healing. They help to open and cleanse the wound. The grieving process of the things that are burdens and encumbrances and weights that have been done to us. And dealing with the sin that so easily entangles and grieving that and mourning after that, both of those is what Jesus wants us to bring to him as we commit, examine, and confess. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, I don't have a lot of pictures of me as a kid because we ran from our dysfunction, lots of messiness, but, but I found a couple pictures. One of those on the left is actually a picture of a picture, but it's actually me and my brother. Uh, you can see me on the right-hand side there, and I know some of you are sitting here thinking, man, it's uncanny how similar Rodney's hair looks today to that photo. I wish I had that kind of helmet hair today, but I don't. But if you look in those eyes on the outside, it's a smiling little boy, but a lot of hurt, a lot of dysfunction. Growing up, multiple stepfathers, physically, verbally, emotionally abusive. My mom was a magnet to these guys with her own story. And there was a a theme of anger and rage and addictions. 
If I'm examining my baggage here, one of those men that, that I would lean into is my stepfather, who was especially abusive to me at the kitchen table. He was one that would help me with my homework. And when I didn't understand the homework, rage would build in him, a volcano would erupt, and he would abuse this little boy at the table. And I'd fall back. I could still smell the soil and the plant that I fell into. I can still see the shag carpet from the 1970s. And bloodied and disheveled, humiliated, I'd fumble my way back into the chair, and we would repeat the cycle over and over and over. See, I didn't realize till later in life that though I was growing physically into a young man, that little boy was still hiding underneath that kitchen table, broken and lost. I was trying to manage this under my own. And yes, there's things that I reached for to try to satisfy the wounds that, that, that I needed to grieve that were done to me. And yes, I even picked up some things like drugs and alcohol and other, other things, other habits to try to fill the hole in my heart. One of those things I picked up was building a false version of myself. See, I put this mask up and I wanted everyone to love this person. I was so successful on the outside, but on the inside, I was dying a slow death because I wasn't addressing what, what happened at that kitchen table. I wasn't addressing the things that were done to me, and I certainly wasn't addressing the things in my own strategies. It wasn't until I invited Jesus into that that change began to happen in my life. And healing community, being vulnerable and honest, breaks down that shame. It's a shame killer and brings us out to address it, to move forward with a new purpose in the pain. See, when we can do that, we can do the next important step. The hope part of this is to submit, to be able to submit to him every change he wants to make in my life. Proverbs 37, 23 says, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. See, when I acknowledge the mess in front of me and I commit to him and invite him into it, it's a process of examining and confessing. Then I can see what's the damage God created me in his image and sin done to me and sin I've done to others as hurt people hurt people disrupted that image that God created in me. Character defects. And here's a cool thing. As we identify them, he takes them away and he gives us something new. He takes away and he gives us something new. He puts something new in us to submit it's one of those words that gets a bad rap in our society, but all it means is to stand firm. Stand firm. No going back. No plan B. I'm all in. I've committed, and I'm going to submit, stand firm in this process. See, it's then that we can do as James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's great, but this last sentence really, really grabs me. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Jesus doesn't just want to heal me. He wants to make me righteous. Righteous just means that I'm in good standing with God and I'm connected with him. God wants to bring a purpose. He wants to bring a calling in my pain in my past. You know, here's the cool thing about the gospel message. And some of you, uh, you look at this this baggage and you say that's my baggage and if I was being honest there would be a lot more stacked here from my past and here's the cool thing Jesus did not expect me to crawl out from underneath that table I wish I could go and hug that little boy that no one fought for Jesus wants to hug that little boy and you know what he doesn't say Rodney get out here no, he gets down on my level and he talks gently and lovingly, and he's saying the same thing to you, whatever's got you underneath that table. And he's saying, I see you. I love you. I care for you. Not because of anything that you have done, Rodney, but because you're seeking me. And this is why I died. And if we'll commit and take that hand, he will reach in and he will pull you out from whatever that table metaphorically is for you. And he will wrap his mighty arms around you and say, I love you. It's about time. Welcome home. That's a beautiful message of the gospel. Isn't it? I used to look at one side of the coin. This is my baggage. There's Jesus. And I'm saying, Jesus, this is a lot. 
And you know what, Lord? I'm going to take care of this mess because one day when I sort through all of this, you and I are going to have a great relationship. And you will have no choice because I'm going to do all kinds of good things to outweigh the bad things in my life that you see in front of me. And you will have no choice but to love and accept me. Guys, that's not the gospel. The gospel is seeing Jesus there, seeing the baggage, and inviting him over here. And he graciously puts his arm around us. That's a mess, Rodney. And he looks at the, the burdens, the encumbrances, the weights that have been done to us, and he says, that should not have happened to you, and I'm so sorry that happened to you. You did not deserve that. And then he looks and, oh, some more here, isn't there, Rodney? You tried so hard to find healing from your pain apart from me, and you've developed some sin that so easily entangled you. Do you know, Rodney, and he's saying the same thing to you, I died for the things that were done to you, and I died for the things that you've done to others. It's going to take some time. We didn't get here overnight, Rodney. You know that. But step by step, we're going to work through this. And you know that I'm going to bring healing to your life. I'm going to bring freedom. But even more, I'm going to bring purpose to this atrocity, atrocious pain that's been done to you and even the pain you've done to others. That's the message of the gospel. God wants to take our pain and give us purpose. Why wouldn't we commit to him? Why wouldn't we openly examine and confess under his power? Why would we not submit to his transformation process? It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's what he wants for you. I don't know what you walked in here with, but I pray that you would feel safe in this space, this beautiful community, to acknowledge whatever that is, and that we would lock arms with each other and love each other toward Jesus and allow him to bring purpose to our pain. One of our fellowship brothers courageously agreed. I call them satisfied customers. Someone has gone through this process and he's agreed to share his testimony, a little piece of it. I want you to hear from my brother Blair. Check this out. Well, on the outside, it would look like I had it all together. But on the inside, my life was totally out of control. I developed many different ways to cope with life's hurts. Habits developed from that that I used to cope, and eventually uh, they came to an end. I'm a grateful and thankful believer. I struggle with lust, pornography, the fear of rejection, and eating issues, and my name is Blair. I thought, probably in my mind, that I was facing those issues because I was dealing with them and finding coping mechanisms to kind of mask the hurts and the, the feelings, but I had to face all that when everything came crashing down when uh, I was arrested and got a DWI. Spent about eight hours in jail uh, looking at all these different coping mechanisms and I was pretty much at my end. There's something about being in jail for eight hours that gives you the opportunity to look at your uh, life and I saw that I was using a lot of different things to cope with life, but nothing, I wasn't facing life, I was avoiding life. No matter when it was going to happen, it was going to happen because my coping mechanisms were never going to last forever. As soon as one would kind of falter, I'd have to go to something else, and it was just a constant juggle. Why didn't I ever recognize that that was not going to work? Uh, even though I was still in it, I was thinking that it was working, all the while knowing it wasn't working, so it was kind of a little bit of a maddening situation for me. Imagine having a goal or something you want or something you're striving for, and no matter what you do, you're never gonna get there. That's exactly what it's like. Even if I get close or I could kinda sorta get everything managed, it would, it would something would happen and I'd do this. And it was just, it never ended. I was putting on a mask that I was, that I had it together, that I was attending church and I had all this Christianity figured out, but the reality was I was, struggling inside. I was arrested on a Thursday night and I was in CR on the following Friday. For me, I knew where the truth was. I just didn't want to go find it. 
And so for me, when I finally finally got to that point that I was nowhere else to turn, that was the place for me to turn. And I was very thankful to have that. There was no hope in Blair. No matter what I could do, no, nothing, there was nothing I was going to do to fix my situation. And I had to admit that and get to that point because what I have found is where I'm weak, he is strong. And But I have to admit that weakness. I have to say, you know what, God, I can't do this. You either do what you say you do or it doesn't get fixed. And it was for me just coming to that agreement with God that I'm not going to fix me. If, if I'm going to be fixed, it's going to be for him. After getting out of jail that Friday morning, was I came to the CR and I just, I just wanted some hope. I said, God, just, just give me some glimpse, some touch of hope. And he did. And that's, I've never been the same since. Nothing's new. Everybody's got hurts, habits, and hang-ups. But what I would tell you, there is a place that will give you hope. I tried for 55 years to find hope through my coping mechanisms and I was lost. And I found it at CR. And if you're hurting, or you're struggling, I promise you, you can find hope there. I did.
you guys. If I could invite you to stand with me as we'll read the serenity prayer. Let me introduce myself. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. I struggle well with sexual integrity, the negative effects of past sin and PTSD, and I am celebrating miraculous victories over sexual addiction, alcohol, and drug abuse, and my name is Johnny. Hey guys, let's pray this serenity prayer, lift this up to God. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Johnny. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful to be a part of a church that welcomes all broken people. What a great church we have here at Fellowship. Amen. Uh, just grateful to be here with you. I, I know that these conversations can stir things up. I pray that that you would consider making this a part of your life. If, if you need prayer this morning, I want you to take advantage of our, our great prayer team. We actually have blue surrender chips. It's just a marker of I'm giving this to you, Jesus, available in the prayer room. We invite you to that prayer room to be prayed for. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I know the Lord is working. He's speaking to so many hearts in this space. Hey, as you leave here, we wanna let you know, I don't know if you knew this, it's kinda cold outside. So can you exit out that way so that when those doors open, the room doesn't drastically change in temperature? Uh, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for being here. Have a wonderful, safe, and warm weekend. God bless.